the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, a pleasant good afternoon to you. Just about five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. We're here on this Tuesday, the ninth day of March. Hope you're doing well so far in the week, and great to have you along with us. We've got a pretty jam-packed program tonight. We're going to talk later on with syndicated talk show host Bob Zadek about the hoopla concerning the new COVID relief bill and whether or not this is all economic sleight of hand and if we're really being given a favor here to help stimulate the economy, help suffering Americans, or if in the end, in the grander scheme of things, this is simply going to just prolong the misery. Maybe not for us today in the here and now, but soon and for years to come. We'll get into details about all that coming up a little bit later on in tonight's program. You know, frequently on this show, and longtime listeners know that here at KFAX, we've just launched our back-to-school half-off tuition program with a great sense of excitement and parents always thrilled for the opportunity to provide their child with a quality Bible-based education. And I think in many respects they do so because they recognize that beyond the simple scholastics of it all, meaning how your child performs in the SATs and passes tests and is able to matriculate eventually through a two- and four-year colleges and universities, there's also the sense of continuity, continuity between what a child is being learned or what a child is learning and being exposed to at church and at home is consistent with the values being demonstrated and that they're being exposed to on campus. And so with that, many parents choose, many Christian young people choose to go to Christian colleges and universities, recognizing the caliber of the education and that they all uphold biblical values. Right? Wrong. Well, some do. Let me be careful about this. Some do, but as you're about to find out, a good number of them don't. Let's find out more. We're joined by Brad Dacus. He is the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute constitutional lawyer he and brad as always we appreciate you being with us today i I gotta tell you i was a little bit back set back on my heels uh, reading this report and while some denominations on the list perhaps come as no real surprise of an affiliation with planned parenthood nevertheless i've got to imagine that many parents are going to be shocked to find out that there are a significant number of Christian colleges and universities across the United States that have been engaging in business, affiliating with Planned Parenthood, in some cases for years, 
Not a lot of hoopla or fanfare, but the relationship is there nevertheless. Tell us more about this blockbuster shocking report. Yeah, Craig, uh, this is ex- uh, extremely alarming uh, in that we're dealing here with private, um, you know, Christian colleges and universities, uh, not just secular uh, universities. If someone said Planned Parenthood has a relationship with uh, UCLA, um, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, it has a, you know, Planned Parenthood has, has put its, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, in all, it's, it's establishing itself in uh, high schools throughout Los Angeles County, for example. Um, but when institutions, private religious institutions um, like Christian colleges, work with the likes of Planned Parenthood, it says, I think, a tremendous amount about those uh, private Christian colleges, the extent to which they really probably are no longer uh, deserving of the title of bona fide Christian colleges. Yeah, it's a shame when a parent has to do their due diligence to ascertain uh, things like the course offerings, how well uh, accepted the school is in the particular uh, discipline, etc., etc. But you'd think, (laughs) you'd think that if it says the XYZ Christian University, that at the minimum, you ought to be able to, with some degree of confidence, know that the campus will be a place that will encourage and foster biblical values, not run 180 degrees contrarian to them. And worse still, I think the more egregious aspect of this is the fact that apparently some of these schools have intentionally been flying underneath the radar screen, meaning they're not saying, yeah, we're open, bold, and proud. We've got uh, a partnership with Planned Parenthood. Want to make something of it? No, it's not like the school bully, bully on the campus, uh, but rather kind of quiet, low-key, as if, A, they don't really want it to be public because, B, maybe they know deep down this is not going to very well be, be very well received and might likely, might likely even cause people that have been benefactors of said college university reconsider their financial partnership with the organization. Oh yes, exactly, and um, it's, um, it, it's 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 so important for people to understand um, that just because it has a cross in front or it has a religious theme or is tied to a denomination, um, that's no guarantee uh, at all that it's going to be a, a Christian college uh, or university. It's um, you know, uh, and you know, there's there's a, a Christian schools that I would have tried to have gone to perhaps 30 years ago, but today. Uh, there's no way I would think about sending my son or daughter uh, to attend. Uh, this information is all the more uh, shocking and convicting um, when it comes to um, to this kind of scrutiny. So I encourage people to to do their homework and um, and make their you know their their determinations. You know I you know Wheaton University used for example Wheaton College used to be one of understood one of the most primo Christian solid Christian colleges. Yet, one study came out in 2008 determined that four out of five of their professors voted for a pro-abortion candidate for president. Um, you know, so we, we can't take anything for granted. We really need to do our homework. And I suppose, as I noted in my opening remarks, some of these schools, such as the, not schools, but the denominations, rather, such as UMC or UCC, no real surprise there. But to find that on the list include a number of um, RCA or Reformed Church in America and Roman Catholic 
colleges and universities. Given the very public pro-life stance that the Catholic Church has taken for decades on this topic is certainly troubling. Yes, it really is troubling. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, college is not, is not cheap. Uh, and, you know, parents oftentimes would just look at the academic level or ranking of a school, thinking their child's going to get a better job. What they don't realize is that uh, most kids coming from Christian families in Christian cultures, in, you know, Christian churches, veer away from their faith by the time they graduate from college. College is probably one of the most dangerous, spiritually fatal times in a child's life, uh, you know, growing up. Um, and that is, should be very uh, sobering for many parents when they look at, you know, the idea that, that an institution is, is as a partnership, like I feel like you said, with the likes of Planned Parenthood, uh, that only compounds the concern even more. Now, this report, my understanding is, in terms of the specifics, has not been made public yet. Is that correct? Uh, that is my understanding, and um, but I, I do believe it is it is going to be made public. Uh, needless to say, that net does in no way stops parents and others from uh, asking the, uh, the the school that they're thinking about sending their child to to email them back. Um, a statement uh, of whether or not they have any affiliation with Planned Parenthood, uh, financial, associational, or, or, or physical, uh, or, or whether Planned Parenthood has any physical presence on their campus, um, or in, you know, for instruction or providing services of any kind. You know, you know, they say, say hey, you know what, I want an email, because they may lie to you over the phone. The person you're talking to may not be totally unaware themselves, uh, but I would get that in writing. To say this is very significant. I'm relying upon this in sending my child to your school. I want to make sure there's absolutely no financial or educational or other uh, relationship with Planned Parenthood with, by, by your university. And um, and I think that could be very helpful uh, because when we put it in writing, um, then there's, that's something that you, you can rely upon, and then it's also something you can sue them over in the event that they were fraudulent in, in their representation. Well, and hopefully there's a sense here, too, if uh, universities and colleges are paying close attention, that they have a, a very short, narrow window of time here to get their act together. And if they are engaged in these ties with Planned Parenthood, to sever those relationships post-haste. Because when this goes fully public, and I understand that they have investigated, uh, Students for Life of America has, uh, more than 700 Christian colleges and universities across the nation uncovering that more than 100 of them have these uh, so-called below-the-radar screen relationships with Planned Parenthood. And uh, once they make this public, this could really be um, detrimental at, at multiple layers, multiple levels. So we certainly appreciate, uh, Brad Dacus, your effort in bringing this to our attention. Now we've done our due diligence in bringing it to the attention of our listeners. Your turn. And as Brad suggests, maybe just a casual email fired off to the school that you're considering for your son or daughter next fall or that they're currently enrolled in and that you're paying good hard-earned money to uh, to ascertain whether or not they are one of the schools on this list. Wow. Student for Life releasing the first list of Christian colleges with ties to Panned Parenthood very Soon, And our thanks to Brad Dacus, constitutional lawyer, founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, for that insight and update. 
516 from KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. We're here at 521. And uh, you've probably heard the story that uh, Congress is ready to fire off more aid. This in response to what is arguably one of the worst economic crises since the Great Depression. And, of course, trying to get this all up and running as the wheels of federal bureaucracy turn slowly, but they turn surely. Well, there's a, a big challenge there, even as the administration has promised that a large number of Americans could receive their $1,400 stimulus payments before the end of March. This is where we stand. $1.9 trillion coronavirus stimulus package. And uh, hard to believe that a scant uh, few years ago, in 2008, it only took $700 billion. Most of that money, by the way, paid back. I think the only ones that didn't pay back was AIG and uh, Citigroup. Most of that money got paid back. None of this will get paid back. And most of it, frankly, just seems to be funny money. What do I mean by that? Well, let's dive in a little bit deeper. We're joined by syndicated talk show host, best-selling author, one of the greatest authorities on the U.S. Constitution, certainly that I know. He has the longest-running libertarian talk show in the nation. He is Bob Zadek, host of The Bob Zadek Show, Heard locally live here in the Bay Area, Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. on 860 a.m. The Answer, our sister station. Bob, as always, great to have you with us. Thank you. But, Craig, you say great to have me with you. If I were you, I would withhold or maybe withdraw that statement until I finish my opening sentence. (laughs) I revoke it. So we'll so we'll, we'll withhold with we'll hold withhold judgment on that then until the end of the hour. <laughs> no, just wait for one sentence. So Craig, I'm going to start off by doing something terribly rude when I'm a guest on somebody else's show, which is accuse you in your last introductory sentence. Everything you said was fake news. Here's what you said. You called the $1.9 trillion an aid package. No, it was not. It was not aiding anybody very much, except maybe it's aiding the Democratic Party or aiding uh, cities that cannot stop and states that cannot stop New York, Illinois, and California. Remember that Chuck Schumer just yesterday said that the COVID relief that New York State is getting will cure all of its deficit. So you also said it's a COVID relief package. More fake news. It has nothing to do with COVID. It has to do with uh, changing the core uh, structure of our nation. It is incidentally has to do with COVID. That is, COVID gives it the excuse to do it. Nothing to do with COVID, as we will explore during our hour. It's a wealth transfer program. It is a redesign of America program. It is not COVID-related. It is not an aid. And it is not going to offer relief to anybody very much. So there you are, Craig. 
you got sucked in to a little fake news yourself, something that you do almost never, but you did in your warm introduction to me. And now I'll pause while you withdraw your welcome. And we'd like to thank Bob Zadek for being with us tonight. No. <laughs> well, I, I, I... Yeah. Well, Robert, I, 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 I appreciate... I appreciate you setting me straight as no one else can, and uh, let's dive into all the details on this, because it it is a series of fascinating and frightening twists and turns, Um, a a lot of this being done by, for the want of a better term, economic sleight of hand, and let me roll back, if I can, the clock. Um, It was back in August of 2019, fully seven months before uh, the concern over the COVID virus really reared its ugly head in full force, that the United States Congress decided to suspend the debt ceiling, and they did so through July of this year, so for full two years, uh, effectively dumping Budget Control Act and saying, look, we're just going to go out there and spend as we can. They did that at a time when there was no looming economic crisis, but they may be manufacturing one as we head down the road. Let's talk about what this is attempting to do, or or at least from the uh, re- reading as I did from the uh, press release coming out of the uh, Congress and the White House, what, what, it, what it is suggesting that it hopes to accomplish. First off, the idea that millions of Americans are suffering economically and we need to do something to help them out. I, I have to wonder, on face value, just how many lives are going to be changed or improved with a check for $1,400. And the utter irony, Bob, that this is not money earmarked to go exclusively to those who desperately need it, but rather anybody that earns $75,000 a year or less, whether or not you have money in the bank, whether or not you own your own home, whether or not you have a job. You get $1,400. Some might spend it. Whether or not it's going to stimulate the economy is a whole other question. But the notion for many of paying off bills, which to me seems to be at the core, a big problem of this entire um, situation here. And that is that we're not really doing anything that generates any new product or services. In fact, in many respects, if you're paying off old bills, you're really not generating any new spending. So how do you go about stimulating a suffering economy when you're just retiring old bills? I'm not an economist, but I don't get it. You're exactly right, Craig. You always are, at least when I'm on your show. And you focus on what the recipients are likely and statistically going to be doing with the money. They are going to be paying old bills which has no stimulus effect whatsoever on the economy, that they already stimulated the economy by buying things last month, and now they're just going to pay for it through their credit card this month. That's not a stimulus. Second of all, much of the money will be saved because the recipients really don't need it, and therefore they will save it. Zero stimulus effect, except for the fact that savings savings ultimately, indirectly, and circuitously ultimately find their way uh, into banks. Banks will presumably lend out the money to a business, which will 
increase increase economic performance. So in a rather indirect way, uh, the money that's saved will stimulate the economy, but indirectly and not that much. And what the word economists use is targeting. This money is not targeted. First of all, only a small percentage, about 20% of going directly to individuals. Money is going to uh, institutions, it's going to cities and states uh, to pay off their bills. It's being spread all around museums, uh, the arts, all over the place. So it is hardly targeted money. And it's not supposed to be targeted money because it's done to uh, change life in America who are benefit and who doesn't get the benefit in the image of progressives. So it's not that the stimulus will fail in its goal. It will succeed in its goal, but the goal is not the advertised goal. The goal is to reward those people who are the victors in the last election, and they get rewarded, which means progressives, which means progressive states, which means public service unions, they get the rewards, because after all, to the victor belongs the spoils, as we learned in high school. And these are the victors, and they will for sure spoils. Now, there's political cover. They have the word cover. COVID all over the place, that gives them the political cover. But this is just plunder. Now, the, the most interesting part of this abomination, at least for me, is the effect on the deficit. It's fascinating to me because we do not know, indeed economists do not know because it's territory, when will we hit the wall in terms of the deficit, in terms of the accumulated debt, which is now going to be $29 trillion. We've never been there before. So this is all uncharted territory. And, the, and those who worry about such things worry that's going to end up being a break on the economy. It's going to cause inflation because there's too much money in circulation. But it is, that is like a, an assumption based upon formulas and based upon algorithms that have never been tested under these conditions. So we will, the answer to the eternal question, how high is up? We will learn or not. And it's possible that nothing bad happens with a $29 trillion deficit and debt overhang. Maybe nothing terrible happens. Well, then we talk about a license to steal now we discover, well, maybe it just doesn't matter anymore. And then spending and spending goes on, and maybe forever until we spend our way into oblivion. So that's the great unknown, and nobody really is very, well, nobody in public life, seems particularly worried about it, certainly not the two major political parties. Well, Craig, if they aren't worried, 
maybe you and I should not be worried at all, but we are. You know, it, it's an interesting piece of irony here, and, and I, I'll share this story, then we'll take a time out and come back to more of our conversation. But, but I am reminded of the individual who traveled up to the peak of a mountain at the very precipice of the mouth of a volcano, an active volcano with churning red lava, magnum, lots of vapor, smell of the... Uh, the the burnt matches right just everywhere uh you went and a fascinating sight and even though at a certain distance you could feel the heat coming off the volcano this man said well i'm standing here and i'm safe what could matter if i get a little closer in i just want to get a little closer look and so he moved a few feet closer in and he could see a lot more and he took a couple of pictures and thought, gee, the smell of the, the sulfur here is really overwhelming, but I want to get a little closer in and just see a little bit better. And he got a little bit closer, and nothing bad happened, and finally he decided to take one more step in to grab that really incredible camera angle. This was going to be a photograph that would be across the Internet. He would go viral. He's got to take this picture, and as he stepped one foot closer... The soil underneath him gave way, and he tumbled into the mouth of the volcano. Ironically, he started with the idea, well, what could possibly happen, and moved a little closer. And I think that there are potentially some parallels between that example and what we're doing in Congress these days with the debt. We were at $10 trillion, nothing bad happened, so we went to 15 got to 15 no. Nope. The world didn't come to an end. Let's go to 20. Now we're at 28, in fact, north of 28, heading soon toward 30 once all this package gets placed in place. And we keep arguing, well, nothing's happened bad so far. You have to wonder, though, just how close to the edge of the mouth of the volcano can you get before you fall in? Craig Roberts, along with syndicated talk show host, best-selling author Bob Zadek, his program, heard here in the San Francisco Bay Area, Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock on 860 AM, The Answer. We invite you to check that out. Check out Bob's website, too, for lots of great resources, podcasts of previous conversations, and Bob's book. You can find them online at bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. A brief time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Bob Zadek is with us tonight. He, of course, is the host of the nationally syndicated Bob Zadek Show, heard locally in the San Francisco Bay Area on 860 AM, The Answer. That's Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock. We're talking about this new big printing job that the government is doing. Well, most of it, I suppose, is really digital, but at the end of the day, it, it's money that doesn't exist that they're creating largely out of thin air. That's the shorthand version. And Bob, what, what strikes me odd about all this, you know, when I was a kid, every now and then my grandmother would give me money, but it was always connected to some condition, meaning here's some money, go buy some comic books, but don't spend it on candy. It's not good for your teeth. Or here's some money, buy some new school clothing with it. 
Rarely was it given with no conditions whatsoever, and that was largely to help me learn how to manage it and use it wisely. I find it ironic that in this additional massive giveaway, even as much as we talk about the desperate need in which the local economy needs stimulus, but instead we're just going to blindly hand people $1,400 checks, no strings attached, and I wonder how much of that money is actually stimulating Amazon as opposed to my local retailer. Well, you, when you ask yourself, where is the stimulus, you're sort of, what you're doing is you're buying into, but I know you're not intellectually, but by using their, their language, you're buying into the political cover that the purpose of this is to stimulate anything. It is not. It is to reward their friends, they being the regressive friends, and to, in a lawful way, buy votes, uh, which is the same thing as rewarding your friends. So a stimulus is not really what is required, and if so, it's the size of the requirement for the stimulus is infinitesimal compared to what's being distributed. It's it's easy to explain with a very straightforward example. Let us assume, Craig, that you had an illness or something that prevented you from working. You're eight, you have skills, you have marketable skills, you have an employer who wants you to work, but you can't. You can't. You broke your leg or you're ill, so you're home. And the bills pile up. Well, you don't need right now, and now you get better, and now your illness is cured. If you get back to work between overtime and hitting your savings a little bit, you may need a tiny bit of help, but basically you're not needy. You gotta catch up on the bills, you gotta work a little harder, maybe a small check wouldn't hurt, a little disability insurance while you're out, but you don't need that much because you're able to work. Well, our economy was roaring before the COVID hit, and it's the same economy that we have today. It just has been collectively ill. So maybe it needs a little bit of pump priming, a little bit maybe as loans to get out from behind the bills a little bit, and you'll pay back the loans with your earnings. Maybe you need a little bit. But $1.9 trillion? Don't be crazy. So the stimulus is infinitely more than is needed. Nobody, nobody believes that those in power, by the way, you say Congress did it. I meant to correct you. Congress didn't do it. The Democrats did it. Congress would suggest that it was something akin to bipartisan. It was not. It was the Democrats did it because they were in power. But you give it almost, again, political cover by saying Congress did it. That almost sounds legitimate. My goodness, it's just the Democrats acting as, as if it was a Democratic Party meeting somewhere in Chicago. That's all that happened. But back to the stimulus. So the stimulus is infinitely more than is needed. Nobody made a calculation. Nobody sat around in a planning room in Washington 
and saying, let's calculate what's needed and let's put into the economy exactly what's needed and not a penny more. We know that didn't happen because that's not how politics works. It was, in the words of Rahm Emanuel, it was a crisis and let's not waste a crisis. Nobody in politics ever does. So you can get a lot done under the political cover of COVID, and that's what they did. They behaved quite naturally if you have a rational, albeit cynical, view of how politics really works. So, of course, it wasn't the stimulus. It's not supposed to be. And it may overstimulate the economy, thereby causing inflation. We will see about that. and we will learn what happens with an overstimulated economy, with an economy on steroids. We know that steroids increases performance in athletes and ultimately it kills them from cancer. Well, that metaphor may be exactly right when we look at what happens in the economy. It'll become more muscular and then it will die of inflationary cancer. We will see. I think what's troubling about all this, in addition to sort of the flailing about insofar as where this money is and how this money is being um, put out amongst the population, put out amongst other organizations, put out amongst other uh, layers of government, is is the complete utter lack of attention to um, uh, understanding the way not only the economics of the economy run, but, but... the economic behavior of markets and of people. And and it seems as if there are some guidelines here that would have assisted in coming up with a plan that would have some significant meat to it that could, in fact, move the needle in the right direction. It seems what you're suggesting here, Bob, is aside from political favors and and a chance to uh, to gain points with the uh, with the base and with progressives, very little thought has gone into sort of a strategic approach. I'm not suggesting that a little bit of money to help um, people hurting won't help, but absent the kind of understanding as to where and how that money is going to be put to work just seems to be the equivalent of dropping money off the top of uh, the Empire State Building during a ticker tape parade and hoping the poor people on the ground below get to it first. Economists call a lot of what you're referring to, a moral hazard. By moral hazard, they mean we have Governor Cuomo, the oversexed, perhaps soon to be impeached governor of New York. We have Governor Cuomo, who spent money like crazy, exercised abusive and wrong-headed executive power, but mostly spending money to reward the public service unions, the teachers unions, the transit unions, the cops, to reward all the friends of the Democratic Party and to inflate their pensions in a way that was fiscally irresponsible. But what happened? He just, he'll be getting a check from Biden, which will according to Biden, not me or you, according to Biden, which will pay off the New York deficit, which means Cuomo was right. He was told the political lesson. He did exactly the right thing. He bought votes, got the Democratic Party to have supermajority in New York, just like Democrats in California. 
they get super majorities by giving away the money, and then nothing bad happens. They get bailed out. That is known in the trade as moral hazard. It rewards bad behavior. And to me, one of the most regretful lessons is that I was saying to myself over the years, well, New York and Illinois and California will ultimately pay. Citizens will leave. Well, that's happening. And the economies will tank. Not quite. In New York, it did tank. Not in California yet. Uh, and the country will learn, by example, that progressive economies at the state level cannot succeed. They will fail. But now, compliments of Biden, that lesson may never occur. Therefore, bad behavior will be reinforced. And one of my great fears is just that, that we don't get to see in real time that progressive, overspending, uh, bloated state governments cannot ultimately succeed. But now they will, and so we don't get to see if our, us conservatives and spendthrifts, when it comes to government, were right or wrong. And that's one of my profound regrets from what's going on in Washington and in the states now. Well, sadly, th there's been no sense of, of uh, fiscal discipline in either party for many, many years. To be sure, one party more egregious in some arenas than other, but th they're equally responsible, in my opinion, for a horrific degree of fiscal irresponsibility. And, and what we're doing here, as you're suggesting, Bob, is we're kind of moving the chairs around on the Titanic. We're, we're, we're using the transfer of wealth to cover up egregious economic irresponsibility uh, it's it's too kind to call it a mistake. Egregious irresponsibility that may for a time wallpaper things over. Nobody really notices uh, any sense of a penalty uh, for that irresponsibility kind of pushed down the road for a while. And maybe you get away with it for a season or two. But, you know, any any seasoned parent will tell you if you constantly allow a child to never feel any consequences for their action and you're constantly bailing them out every time you make they make a mistake you make an excuse they make a mistake you write a check you pay it off you're constantly putting the proverbial pillow underneath their fanny every time they fall down because you don't want the dear thing to ever get hurt the problem, of course, with that is that you create a monster. You create an environment where that child will never learn the valuable lessons of life and will continue to repeat them, and those mistakes will get bigger and bigger and bigger, and eventually the day will come when no amount of rescue provided by mommy, daddy, will ever bail them out of the trouble that they are in, and that's why kids sometimes wind up in jail. Now, I'm being fair that this is not always true, but there are many cases where this behavior is absolutely the case. And economically, that's essentially what's happened here. So we cushion the blow. We kind of ease our way out of it. We bypass any pain related to the fiscal irresponsibility for yet another day. But the day of reckoning will come. Let's take a final I time out here in this hour. We're going to come back to more comments from Bob Zadek. Oh. <laughs> 
pardon me, host of the Bob Zadek Show, broadcast here in the San Francisco Bay Area, locally on 860 AM, The Answer. That's every Sunday morning at 8 o'clock. Bob always has fascinating topics, fascinating guests. As you heard, he doesn't pull any punches. He's simply here to educate his audience, tell them the truth, and to get people to think. He certainly does that every time we engage, and I appreciate that. So check him out Sunday mornings, 8 o'clock, 8.60 a.m., The Answer. Want to go deeper? Check out his website. Lots of great resources to take advantage of there at bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. A timeout. Back with more right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Bob Zadek with us. We've been talking about, wow, $1.9 trillion, and that's a lot of money, boy. (laughs) Where it all is going to be spent and how much of it's really going to do what it's allegedly there for, well, that's a big debate, as you're hearing. And, Bob, when we talk about all of this, I guess the one thing is we really don't know where this is going to wind up. But I've got to believe that there is inherent danger in continuing to kick the proverbial can down the road when it comes to the level of of indebtedness that this nation has. And, you know, I guess the other big question is they're, they're hoping for a political payout, to be sure. But what about the economic payout? Is there any hope that any of this is going to turn things around or make things worse? Well, Craig, here's... A very interesting, at least to me, uh, dynamic. We remember the phrase uh, from the 2008 um, Great Recession, and indeed the phrase goes to the 1980s. The phrase is too big to fail. That was addressed to the large banks. The first bank that that was addressed at was a bank called Continental Bank in Chicago in the 1980s, which was at the time the biggest bank failure. And the feds had to prop it up because it was felt to be too big to fail. It would harm the economy. Well, if a single bank or a single company is felt to be too big to fail, what about the United States? If that's too big to fail, what would happen to the world if the United States failed, or its its debts became so inflated that the value of the dollar was diminished, it's the same as not paying your debts back at full value. Now, here's what I would invite your audience to think about. The holders of the U.S. debt are other countries and other um national banks, China, Japan, and the like. Now, let's assume the debt gets to be so high in the United States that nobody seriously believes the United States is able to pay it all back. Now, if that happens to Brazil or Venezuela, they cannot get credit. They're cut off their economy tanks, and they settle with creditors 75 cents on a dollar, the way Argentina did a few years ago. Now, that cannot happen to the United States because uh, foreign national banks would simply lose too much money. 
they talk about too big to fail. Therefore, it may very well be this, who knows if I'm right. It's only speculation. But imagine if China and Japan and other sovereign countries felt compelled to continue to prop up the United States for their own survival because they can't allow the U.S. to default. Well, then, who knows what happens? Do we keep on incurring more and more debt? Or does the world impose upon us uh, restrictions on our economy the way the European community did in Greece and in Italy? It is such uncharted territory, and one can reach a conclusion that's very dark or maybe not quite so dark. Who knows? The which uh, I'll mention when you talk about the debt, is remember, the United States is a competitor to every business and every consumer in the country. They're a competitor for borrowing money. Any Every dollar that is lent to the federal government is not lent to a business or to a person, which means the availability of money, of capital, to the wealth creators, the businesses, is diminished. And the businesses become the capital, which means innovation declines, which means employment declines, which means the government has to employ more and more people. So if you want to really go to a dark place and not unrealistic, it's Imagine that the mere fact that the United States is borrowing all the money that's available tomorrow will starve American business, and there goes all that we are so proud of in America. That, to me, yeah. Craig, is enough said to make the decision to put out $1.9 trillion and increase the debt. That alone makes it a... I don't care whatever the benefit is. Starving American business for needed capital so they create jobs is itself proof positive of the bankruptcy of this concept. Yeah, and I'm afraid, sadly, we're becoming our own worst enemy. There's another word that we didn't use tonight that uh, was often used certainly um, a decade or so ago in Europe, in countries like Italy and in France and in Greece, way late, austerity. And that notion of tightening the belt for the greater good is something that, that sadly we're just too short-sighted to see right now. And as Bob is suggesting, I think, far better that we do that belt tightening voluntarily than have it forced upon us either by economic conditions or by outside forces. A reckoning someday will come. Don't know when, don't know how, but that it's coming I feel fairly certain of. Bob Zedek, the host of the Bob Zedek Show. Again, more information on Bob's website at bobzedek.com. That's bobzedek.com. His program, Sunday mornings, 8 o'clock, locally here in the San Francisco Bay Area on 860 AM, The Answer. Our thanks to Bob Zedek for being with us tonight. Let's get a look at traffic. 